1: and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important.
3: Damian Luller.
1: That was for Seattle.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Just to name a few.
2: Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. Two great guests on our show this week. Anna Isaacson, the... Senior Vice President of Social Responsibility for the NFL, will join us for a wide-ranging conversation about the league's efforts with social justice as well as how the league's policies regarding domestic violence and sexual assault have changed over the past seven years since the Ray Rice incident. The NFL recently reached over $95 million in grants to organizations as part of their Inspire Change initiative. Isaacson has worked at the NFL League office for over 14 years She directs the league's social, charitable, and philanthropic endeavors, including the NFL and how it addresses issues of domestic violence, sexual assault, and other critical societal issues. She also oversees the work of the NFL Foundation. I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Anna Isaacson, who started working at the NFL League office in her 20s with a very important big job and she's done fantastic since she's been there. So Anna Isaacson coming up. And then our friend Kenneth Shropshire, the CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. He's going to join me. We have a big announcement to make about a partnership between Sports Business Radio and the Global Sport Institute. Stay tuned for that. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
3: Doing good. And uh, I love Anna's conversation. I think you'll all love that because she's just got some great insight on uh, a job that's growing and changing every single year, especially coming out of uh, COVID and everything that's happened this year with, uh, you know, just in the culture. So it's an exciting interview. She's really, really smart. Lots of knowledge. So that's a fun one.
2: All right. Let's get to some headlines of the week before we get to the interviews. Number one, the college football season is complete. Nick Saban wins his seventh national championship championship. And Alabama beats Ohio State 52 to 24. Uh, Griggs, not much of a game. Um, There were some big bets on the game. Someone had a half a million dollars on Ohio State, and the spread was nine. So they lost half a million dollars. I'll never understand why people bet that big. I guess you have to have that money to, to bet it. But my gosh, that's a lot of money to lose on a game, Griggs.
3: Yeah, I think those are those kind of guys that just literally have fun money. It's like, yeah, I got half a million. I'm just going to have fun here. And if I win, I win. If I don't, I don't. So, yeah, but I mean, that game was about a quarter and a half of actual decent football. And then it was the route was on as I think you and me both predicted that Alabama was going to run away with it. They're just they're just too good. I mean, Ohio State just couldn't keep up with them, couldn't stop them. So I tuned out about a little bit in the third quarter. I was on to something else. Steve
2: Sarkeesian is leaving as the OC, the Offensive Coordinator of Alabama, to become the new head coach at University of Texas. Nick Saban, with his bonus for winning the national championship, makes $10 million this year, Greg. So not bad for, uh, you know, I guess it wasn't that shortened of a season for Alabama because they ended up playing 13 games, but $10 million for 13 games, pretty good. And, And, you know, when you're talking about greatest coaches of all time now in college football, Nick Saban has to be at the top of that list. No one has won more national championships than he has.
3: For sure. But let's not forget, college football is not about money.
2: So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no,
3: 10 million to a coach.
2: Um, another big headline this week. We all know about the insurrection in Washington, D.C. last week. Well, lots of people are cutting ties with President Donald Trump as a result. And in the sports realm, the PGA of America announced this week They voted to move the 2022 PGA Championship Golf's second major of the year away from the Trump national course in New Jersey on the heels of the violent riots at the U.S. Capitol where multiple people were killed. So, Griggs, uh, PGA drops Donald Trump.
3: Yeah, I think there's going to be more of this, and uh, I think Mr. Trump's going to have a long haul building back his uh, entities because of uh, the last four years, especially the last year, because it's been rough on him. And uh, I think you'll see more fallout and continue to to do that. And we even saw some uh, NBA teams, you know, talking about maybe not playing games when this whole riot thing happened. So it's a it's a big deal, and it's uh, obviously going to continue to to grow. We'll see what uh, happens in the n- near future.
2: The NBA is having a COVID outbreak. There is an emergency board of governors meeting today. That means the NBA owners are getting together on a conference call to talk about potentially pausing the season. Numerous games have been postponed. I think the NBA planned for that. But, you know, Griggs, when you're trotting out eight players for a game, that's the minimum. Um it's just a competitive disadvantage for the team with eight players. And usually it's, you know, you look at the Sixers, they didn't have Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. How's that going to turn out? Like Dwight Howard's playing point guard. So at what point does the integrity of the game start to be hurt? Or is it, you know what, we're just going to push forward here and, you know, really have to figure out how to get through this season to get that TV money and get the minimum number of games in for the season.
3: Well, I think that's the big thing. Again, it's it's money-driven. It's TV-driven. People don't want to sit there and watch the 11th and 12th man starting, you know, that nobody even knows. They want to watch LeBron. They want to watch Embiid. They want to watch the Stars play. So when these Stars aren't playing and teams are playing with eight guys, it's just not watchable TV. So I think uh, big changes will have to be looked at with that. And I think, you know, we got NHL starting this week, too, and they've already had some COVID issues, too. So here we go.
2: All right. So NFL playoffs, I think I was four and two. Last weekend, uh, I didn't have the Rams beating the Seahawks. I didn't have the Browns beating the Steelers. But I did have the Ravens beating the Titans. So I don't know what your record was last week. But, uh, Griggs, good NFL football. And the NFL announced this week that it's going to allow CBS, NBC, and Fox to sell two additional minutes of commercials in games leading up to Super Bowl 55. Super Bowl 55 is going to be televised and streamed by CBS Uh, And they received $336 million in ad revenue when they last televised the Super Bowl in 2019. CBS is looking for roughly $5.5 million per Super Bowl ad spot this year. Last year, Fox set the record at $5.6 million. So, Griggs, you know, getting two additional minutes of commercials for the games leading up to the Super Bowl for CBS, NBC, and Fox, that's a few million dollars per network. A nice gift from the NFL.
3: Yeah. And you think, oh, two minutes isn't much. But like you said, when you're booking three, four, five million bucks a spot, that's some big money. So I agree. That's going to bring some more revenue in. And I'll be interested to see, you know, with uh, COVID and the fallout and some businesses changing their structures and everything that's in the political world, what will the ads look like? I think they're going to be some different ads this year, maybe some different companies that we're not used to seeing. So I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know if you watched the Saints Bears game on Nickelodeon. It was actually pretty well done. It was fun to watch.
2: I loved it. You know, anything that's new and different, uh, I like and, you know, from SpongeBob being in the goalpost when they kicked a field goal or extra point to, you know, the bulging eyes to the slime being that, the first down marker and slime in the end zone, you know, the the uh, animated slime. I thought it was really cool. And I guess Sean Payton, the coach of the Saints, was slimed after the game. So I thought it was good. You know, Nate Burleson's been on our show before. I think he does a great job calling a game. He's usually in studio, but I think he does a really good job. Uh, calling games too. So uh, it's it's good. I, I, I liked it. Yeah. I, I thought it was different too. And um, I thought it was good.
3: Yeah. I like how they took some moments too, to kind of describe the game too, to the younger kids that might not be, you know, might not understand it. They were telling you about the penalties and what the red zone is. So I thought it was kind of good educational experience for younger kids. It looked good. It sounded good. The crew was great. Nate was awesome. And uh, I thought it was well done by the NFL.
2: All right. So I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think for the next round of games we've got on Saturday, the Rams at Packers. Uh, Packers are the number one seed. Aaron Rodgers is potentially MVP of the league. It's going to be cold and Lambeau. Who do you have in that game?
3: I think Aaron Rodgers and Adams are just playing too money right now. I think the Rams defense, solid as it is. I think the Packers are going to win that game, but it should be close. I think they'll win probably by 10.
2: OK, I'm going to go Packers, too. Uh, you've got Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. That game's on Sunday. Who do you have in that game?
3: This will be fun watching two iconic quarterbacks battle. Um, you got two good offenses, lots of firepower. I think this will be a lot closer game. And I'm going to pull out with Tom Brady. He's just too good in the playoffs. I think it'll be close, though.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go Tampa as well. I think uh, they're playing their best ball of the season. I also think they remember when they got absolutely thumped by new Orleans earlier in the year. And I don't think that sat well with them. So I think Tampa is going to beat new Orleans. And I think we're going to look at a Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady, NFC championship in green Bay, which would just be classic. I mean, Brady's played in the cold before cause he played in new England for all those years. So I think that would be an amazing uh, NFC championship in the AFC it's Baltimore at Buffalo on Saturday night. Who do you have in that game?
3: Now, if uh, Lamar can go for another 200 yards on the, on the ground, uh, look out Josh Allen. But I don't know if he's going to go that far. So I'm, gonna, I'm still pulling for the Bills. I love the Bills. I just love their, their offense, their dynamic. I love Josh Allen. So I think they'll win that game, but it's going to be close. I'm going Ravens.
2: I think Lamar gets it done. I think Baltimore is the uh, biggest potential threat to Kansas City. So um, I'm going to go Baltimore-Cleveland at Kansas City on Sunday. You know, cleveland Can you have a better first quarter than they had against Pittsburgh? I mean, Pittsburgh made a nice comeback, but Cleveland just was unbelievable in that first quarter. They were doing it on all sides of the ball, and uh, Baker Mayfield looked great, and Jarvis Landry looked great. The running game was great with Chubb and, and Hunt. So Cleveland's really good, but I don't think they're going into Kansas City and beating Patrick Mahomes.
3: No, I think Cleveland had an iconic game against Pittsburgh that was fun to watch, but I don't think they're going to do that two weeks in a row, especially at Arrowhead with the KC coming off the bye. I think Kansas City wins that one pretty easily by 14. Okay,
2: so I've got Baltimore, Kansas City in the AFC. I've got Tampa, Green Bay in the NFC. You have uh, the same in the NFC, and you've got Buffalo, Kansas City in the AFC, correct? Correct. All right, we will see what happens. Coming up next, Anna Isaacson, the senior vice president of social responsibility for the NFL. She will join me later. Kenneth Shropshire, the CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. We have a big announcement. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. My guest is Anna Isaacson. She is the Senior Vice President of Social Responsibility at the NFL. She's worked for the league office for over 14 years. Anna, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Before we get started, I know you oversee a number of different departments at the NFL, but tell our listeners a little bit about your role at the NFL.
1: Sure. So the social responsibility team at the league office is really – um, responsible for almost everything off the field that the NFL puts, puts out, right? So that includes all of our cause work, our community work, our philanthropic work, the work of the NFL Foundation, which is a separate 501c3, um, our NFL auction platform. Uh, the NFL really uses its auction platform 100% for charitable purposes, right? So everything we auction off from, from player gear, game-worn and, and signed, Equipment goes back to the charities that we, that we support. Um, so really everything that you've seen from a social, uh, if you watch NFL football, anything on solicit Service or Crucial Catch or Play 60 or domestic violence work or social justice work, et cetera, um, runs through our department.
2: So you were in your 30s when you were hired by the NFL. How did you come to understand how to communicate and influence the key senior staff in the office, including Commissioner Goodell? Because that's not an easy job.
1: I was in my twenties when I was hired. Oh my
2: gosh! Okay, so even younger than I thought.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, you know the the role has changed dramatically, especially in the last six years. You know, we had you know a, a big awakening. Obviously, in 2014, we were dealing with a lot of challenges and crises. Uh, you know, around the Ray Rice incident and domestic violence. Um, and we really kind of looked inward and and thought about a different way of handling you know, our, our off the field work um, and and really realize that, that the public holds us accountable. We are, are an institution in the country and we you know, get so much from the communities um, that watch our games and support our teams. And so it, it's our responsibility to give back. And, and we really decided to take it to the next level, make it a more visible, far-reaching group, more staff, more budget, um, and really focus on a lot of social issues that that the public cares about in a way that,
2: that we weren't really doing before. So in June of last year, NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell released a statement that included the following. We, the national football league, condemn racism and systematic oppression of black people. We, the national football league admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. How have things changed since commissioner Goodell came out with that statement?
1: Well, You know, the spring was um, just an incredibly challenging time for our country, of course, this this whole past year for multiple reasons, as everyone knows. Um, The NFL has been working on social justice issues since, I would say, 2016, 2017, really born from Colin Kaepernick's uh, protests and um, not only him, but the work of other players as well. And so we had been doing a lot of work uh, on advancing social justice. Um, fast forward to George Floyd murder and um, civic unrest around the country. Uh, and we really realized that the the public, our players, even our own staff weren't really aware of everything the league had done, uh, you know, for the couple of years prior um, and the social justice space and we realized we just needed to do more, whatever we had been doing um, at the time. We thought, okay, we, we had put a stake in the ground. we would launched our Inspire Change initiative, and we were working with a players coalition. Um, we had been donating money and funding grants, and it wasn't enough, right? And, and we took time at that moment um, around Roger's statement around that time and, and looked inward and said, what else can the NFL be doing um, to help this situation? What else can we be doing to fight systemic racism? Um, how can we be more overt in talking about it in a way that we hadn't been? Um, and so it was a, a really um, a critical time for us. But since that time, we've just been doubling down and doing more. I and mean, since that time um, of Roger's statement, we announced a commitment of $250 million over 10 years to, to fighting social justice. Um, And last week we announced our our next set of grants along that, you know, along those lines. Um, And we've been using every channel available to the NFL and and our clubs to raise visibility and awareness of these issues.
2: No, I commend you. I I saw, you know, the inspire change uh, visibility during the games this past week and the playoff games. And I know you've committed $95 million in support to programs focused on four key areas education economic advancement police and community relations and criminal justice how did you determine those four areas were the areas that you should focus on
1: you know everything that has to do with our social justice work the league is really player driven and player led Um, and that was something that was critical really early on in the work and so um we sat down with NFL players and the Players Coalition a couple of years ago and worked with them to determine the pillars, those four pillars that you just referenced. Um, at first, it was three pillars, education and economic advancement were were combined, but over the last, I would say, six to 12 months, we really realized that economic advancement was a standalone um, that needed even more attention, and so we, we separated those two uh, and now have four pillars. But that was everything that we do is really in concert um, with the Players Coalition and NFL players.
2: Put a face on a couple of the organizations that grants were made to. Uh, where is some of this money going?
1: So, you know, we we now have over 30 Inspire Change national grant partners, and, it, and it's a big number. And all of these organizations are just doing unbelievable work in their communities. And they they're The organizations range, right? They are national organizations. In our newest set of grants, um, we funded United Way Worldwide and the the Boys and Girls Clubs, for example, to really local grassroots organizations um, like Ladies of Hope Ministries and Perscolas, um, groups that are, you know, based around the country, whether they're in club markets, uh, Just City Memphis is in Memphis, and um, the Oregon Justice Resource Center in in Oregon. and, And so they range in size and scale, right? Small, big, grassroots, national, um, and but they're all doing work within the four pillars, and they're doing really important work. And that ranges from helping to bridge the digital divide and, and serving um, tech education for for Black and Brown kids, um, at, or you know, it's it's working to. For, to create more mentors for youth who have incarcerated family members and parents. You know, I think it, it really ranges, um, but every single grant that we give out, the intention is to have an impact on a population that is that is so needed um, and to bridge, bridge gaps in opportunity and break down barriers. Um, and so the 13 grants that we awarded last week do just that, and they join a family of grants that have, have been fighting for these issues for the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, I really like what you're doing with the digital divide, especially in the last year when so many are are stuck working at home. Kids are learning from home. I think that's a really important initiative. And and frankly, I don't think the NFL has gotten enough credit for what you're doing there.
0: Well,
1: I mean, let's be honest. The digital divide wasn't created yesterday, and it certainly wasn't created at the start of the pandemic, but the pandemic has exacerbated it. Um, and brought it to the forefront in a much bigger way. And I think it's important that people realize that, right? Because it, it's been a social justice issue for many years um, and making sure, you know, and it covers other things. besides We're focused on education in schools, but it, it covers other things, you know, healthcare and, and health disparities as well. Um, and it's been around for a long time and the, the pandemic has just exacerbated all of these problems and them to really just the next level of, of awfulness, um, for lack of a better word. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do is um, talk to our clubs, talk to players, find organizations, mostly locally, to be honest. A lot of these digital divide issues are really local. um, And you have to see what's going on in the backyard of school systems and work with school administrators and local officials to figure out where the needs are, right? It's not only, you're not just talking about, you know, getting kids some Laptops or tablets and solving a problem. You you really these are issues of access, um, access to broadband, access to Wi-Fi, um, high-speed access, um, and then really educating families and parents and teachers on how to use technology. Right. I mean, it's one thing if everyone has tech. It's another thing if, if nobody takes it out of the box because they don't know how to use it. Right. Um, and so you know these are these are problems where you can put you can put band-aids on them, but these are real. Um, deep, broad issues that will take a lot of time and work. And so the NFL, you know, we have great partners that have been working in this space for a while and and sponsors, and we are joining in and want to bring awareness to it um, and see what we can do as a convener and bring people together really to acknowledge, um, you know, how much money is needed to fix these problems and, um, you know, sort of a, a broad coalition of groups and organizations coming together to fix these issues.
2: The other thing I love what the NFL is doing is the player owner working group. So I had Arthur Blank on the show about a month and a half ago. I know you've got players like Kelvin Beecham on the player side. I love that the owners and players are sitting down and working together and figuring out where is the need and how do we help the need.
1: You know, and that's one of the critical lessons that we took away from the last couple of years is this collaboration with NFL players. They are doing so much work. They are leading. They are at the forefront of this community work. Um, And so really everything that we're doing here is with them. And that committee that you pointed out of of owners and players, you know, really comes together and, and makes these joint recommendations on funding. And obviously there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, um, in terms of reviewing organizations and vetting organizations, but um, there's a really natural and fluid rapport going on on that committee now, right? Where the staff is presenting organizations for funding and, and presenting issues and discuss and discussing real issues going on in the community, and you know, there's just a lot more trust that's been built up, and we can go back and forth and 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 make decisions together. Um, and most of these are just unanimous decisions when we're we're talking about funding grant organizations.
2: You've got the Say Your Stories campaign. Tell our audience about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning of the season, we've launched an initiative with NFL players and coaches, actually, where they can they can honor uh, victims of systemic racism or police brutality on their helmets. Or they can use one of four phrases um, to recognize what's really been going on around the country all year. Um, and you could, you know, wear that on on your helmet uh, for as long as you wanted throughout the season. Uh, and we really found that uh, NFL players and coaches chose an unbelievable range of stories. I mean, people that you have you've heard of um, and that have been in the news, like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, the phrases that we had were Black Lives Matter and and racism, stop hate, and it takes all of us, which is our our annual slogan this year. Um, and the Say Their, Say Their Stories campaign was really about sitting down and, and giving voice to those stories, why players selected who they did, um, talking about the legacy of some of these victims uh, and, you know, shining a light on these stories, putting a face to these people. Uh, and, and so that's really what the campaign has been about. And, and we've been focused on it through all our media channels the entire season, uh, continuing, obviously, into the playoffs. Um, But it's been, you know, an emotional campaign um, and a really an educational campaign um, to really and really interesting, honestly, to see what and why certain players chose who they did and really see what resonated with those players and connect with these families.
2: One of the things I love that the NFL does every year with its players is the my cleats, my cause. I know that's been going on for a while, but what a tremendous campaign that is.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, listen, we have hundreds and hundreds into the thousands of NFL players who care about causes and those causes vary. Um, and, you know, we had a uh, high number of players select social justice causes this year for My Cause, My Cleats. But you can imagine that at any given season, there are more than a hundred different causes selected, right? There's diabetes awareness, cancer, military support, um, animal shelters. I mean, you you name it. Um, and these guys, you know, our players really show their individuality. They show their compassion um, and their concern for the communities that support them through this campaign. It allows them to show their creativity, to do a little awareness and fundraising if they so choose as well. Um, but it has been a really, a really great platform um, for us as a league, for the clubs, and, and from what I've heard for NFL players as well, and we, we keep seeing an uptick in the number of of guys that take advantage of the campaign it's an opportunity for them to shine a spotlight on an issue or a cause um, that may otherwise not get all that much attention uh, and um you know it's something that we look forward to continuing it's 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 been great
2: well and so many of these players now have their own foundations and it's an opportunity for them to shine the spotlight on their foundation the work they're doing and you know, frankly, I think one thing that, that a lot of people want to know is, you know, these these players have helmets on. I want to know the player better as a person. And I think that these campaigns allow us as fans to know the players better as a person.
1: I totally agree with you. I think, you know, NFL players are amazing fathers and husbands and brothers and community members and the ability to showcase that and to let the fans know who they are uh, as individuals is really important and something that we've been much more focused on the last couple of years My cause my cleats um, say their stories these you know our man of the Year initiative for example, all of these platforms uh, enable, Uh, the NFL to use its channels and the clubs use all of its channels to really highlight what the guys are doing and show them as individuals with their helmets off um, and to get to know them as people.
2: Right. Just a few minutes left. You mentioned at the start of the interview and and I've read up on you, uh, you came on board in, uh, well, you, you started working, on a lot of the domestic violence stuff in 2014. You mentioned Ray Rice earlier. From where I sit, and I don't have the stats in front of me, it seems like things have gotten exponentially better in that area. What have you done in the area of domestic violence, sexual assault policies to help educate the players and the league in general about you know, all those things that were going on that seem like they're not nearly as much in the news as they were before?
1: you know it took a full comprehensive effort and it goes on through you know to this day i think in 2014 when we made a commitment to fighting domestic and sexual violence we said we were going to be in this for the long haul and we continue to be and i think it it requires that continuous attention um, make no mistake these issues have not gone anywhere in the world right I and mean, right. the the incidence of domestic violence you know domestic violence you may have heard has has been just uh, horrible during the pandemic. Um, And so, you know, these issues from a public and a societal standpoint aren't going anywhere. Um, What we've been able to do from an internal standpoint is make sure that they're at the forefront of our minds. I mean, we do annual education for every single person affiliated with the NFL every single year. And there's, from what we've learned from our experts, there's not that many organizations that can say that, right? That we we do, you know, it's it's six to seven thousand people every single year going through a custom education um, that talks about these issues. We work on bystander education. We work on signs and and system, and symptoms and um, you know, it's it's something that you need to repeat and repeat and repeat. Something that something else that we've been focusing on a lot is on character education of youth. How can we ensure that the next generation is different, and we're actually making an impact not only on on youth athletes but on youth in general, right? Because this is a societal issue. Um, but really, working on prevention uh, and that takes a long time. But it's something that we have been focused on and funding character education programs on healthy relationship management um, since twenty fourteen. Honestly, you know, we have we revised our personal conduct policy. Um, we have a critical response team that jumps into action when there are issues. So it's a, it's a real comprehensive approach that remains in place to this day.
2: It's amazing. Uh, hats off to you. Like I said, uh, from where I sit, things have seemingly got much better. And, uh, you know, it's great job for you. So before I let you go, how has your job changed during the pandemic? I've been asking all of my guests that over the last year. I know mm-hmm. the world looks so different how has your job changed? Are you working from home? Are you in the office? What does that all look like?
1: Yeah, it's such, it's changed a lot. Um, so I um I had a pandemic pregnancy, just sort of uh, personal news. So wow. I was, I was pregnant, moved in, moved, in with, moved in with my parents just to be safer. Uh, we did you know draft, NFL draft and thon I did it from my parents' house where I grew up. Um, so you know, it's been an interesting couple of months when I was on maternity leave and back. And and so, you know, it's been a, a, a very interesting year, but, but certainly our job has changed. And, um, you know, just trying to get everything done virtually, not being able to host community events in, in person, really um, fundraising virtually, doing everything at Draft, you know, that fundraiser that we held was the first time we'd you know, done anything like that, you know, and really incorporated philanthropy into the draft across all three days. Um, and some of the things I think that we learned over the last nine, 10 months, I think we'll take with us into the future. Right. And, and um, you'll see some of that come to life, you know, going forth. but it's, it's been a, it's been a year as it has been for everybody. And um, we've all adjusted, but you know, I'm doing the, the, you know, kids next to me while I'm working. My son makes an appearance on just about um, every meeting I have when I'm at home, and um, and now the baby too. And it is what it is.
2: Wow! Well, congratulations on the new baby, and uh, that is quite a, a year. I mean, it's it's hard enough to just work through this year, but also have a baby through the year and have a job that has the responsibility of your job. Uh, that's that's a lot on your plate.
1: Yeah, you know, listen, everybody has been having – I'm fortunate and um, thank God. And it's – these are all adjustments, but you get through it, it makes you stronger. And, you know, we have a good team here. Um, We've been able to do some good stuff even through the challenges.
2: So last question for you, and this is for uh, a lot of people that listen to our show that, you know, might want to know the answer to this question. So, again, you started working at the NFL when you were in your 20s. I have heard that you have a really good relationship with Commissioner – Roger Goodell. People listening to this show want to know how do I have a good relationship with my boss? Uh, You know, one of the things that stood out to me at the draft was Commissioner Goodell in his basement and the jar of candy. And I just saw a much more human side of Roger Goodell than I had ever seen before. And I loved it. Are you able to have conversations with him and get through to him on kind of that human level or the things that need to be done that we've talked about during this conversation and if so how do you break through with your boss
1: you know i yes i mean the answer is yes i have a, a sticker on my desk that you, if you meet with me you see the first thing you see and it says human first um and i think that's you know we all have to operate with humanity and i think you know if you didn't know that and learn that this year then I don't know what to say, um, but I think you know you have to have honesty and open communication. I, I think I'm in a fortunate position where um, I'm not really a shy person, but um, you have to be able to to speak your truth and and disagree, right? And sometimes you're going to disagree with your boss, but it's better to express your opinion and make sure your opinion is heard and known. Um, and you know you don't you don't win every conversation or not, you know, you you don't always get your way every way. That's just how business works. But you have to be able to communicate openly um, and with humanity. And I think that's that's what I try to do to the best of my ability. And I I think whether that's with Commissioner Goodell or with colleagues and peers or other bosses I've had over the years is just communicating openly, having humanity, um, speaking your voice and having passion Um, And again, you may not always get what you want, but that's okay. People will respect you for expressing where you stand.
2: Anna Isaacson, the Senior Vice President of Social Responsibility at the NFL. Anna, thank you so much. Tremendous job that you're doing at the league office. I'm paying close attention, and I I see all the great work that you're doing with your players and uh, Commissioner Goodell and everyone else. So congratulations, and uh, good luck the rest of the NFL season as we head towards the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, so good to talk to you. Thank you for the time. Appreciate
2: it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. My guest is Kenneth Shropshire. He is the CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. You can learn more about the Global Sport Institute at GlobalSportMatters.com. I'm very excited to officially announce a new partnership between Sports Business Radio and the Global Sport Institute. As part of the new partnership, the Global Sport Institute will reveal research findings and data via ongoing segments on Sports Business Radio. We will also appear on each other's podcasts from time to time. If you haven't checked out the Global Sport Matters podcast, it's terrific, and I would encourage you to uh, check that out on iTunes. Kenneth, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you?
0: Hey, Brian. Great. Happy to be here and, and happy about this new partnership.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm a native of Arizona. I've grown up uh, watching Arizona State and the business school and the journalism school. And, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about you used to be at Wharton and then you moved to Arizona State a few years ago and you've built an incredible global sport institute. Talk about your background a little bit and what you guys have built.
0: No, sure, sure, Brian. And, and you know, I am still a professor emeritus at the Wharton School, so that that means I don't have to do much. Kind of like being a, a grandfather, I guess. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so, so, so I'm there, there on occasion. But no, I I have, um, and, and you know, I and I have known each other for a couple of decades. But I've been at this in terms of of research and work in sport for for all my professional life. Initially as a lawyer, then I worked at the 1984 Olympic Games, ran the sport of boxing. Give you an idea how old I am. And then was at at Wharton for 30 years focused on sports research and and, and writing and have written about a dozen books related to sport. This opportunity at at Arizona State came up as I was on uh, what may have been the crescendo back end of of my time uh, in the academy. It was just a great opportunity uh, where the president of ASU asked me to whiteboard a sports research institute that did not exist in the academy around the world. And, and that is what we have done uh, and, and are kind of in the midst of a uh, fully polishing up and partnership with you is, is a big part of that.
2: Yeah. You guys have researched so many things. For instance, uh, you recently published a 10 year snapshot of NFL head coach hiring. Uh, has the NFL improved with hiring coaches of color? Where do we stand there?
0: You know, what's interesting about NFL hiring is it has been, Overall, pretty consistent since the um, and and you go back to the, the beginning of the Rooney Rule, well, you know, almost 20 years ago now. Pretty consistent in terms of of the numbers, and and, and really what it gets us to pause and, and think about and and the great work that I, I can't talk about this work without talking about Dr. Richard Lapchick, where a lot of the data comes from and is in his annual report cards. Really, what what we've seen is is improved efforts at the league office. Uh, you almost can't fault the efforts of effort the league office, but what has come is greater clarity that this work has to be done by the individual franchises. And that, and that's where we've seen the unevenness over the years. And that's where more work needs to be done. And and, and the numbers could, could be improved.
2: Yeah. I see a star quarterback like Deshaun Watson calling out the Texans for a more thorough and transparent process. I look at someone like Eric B who geez, what else does that guy need to do to get a head coaching job? And and you would hope that with the openings right now that he'll be a head coach soon. But I agree. I, I think it does land on the individual franchises and the owners and you know, the GMs and whoever else is making these decisions.
0: For sure. And, and what I tell people is I think, I think historically there was some validity when you would hear people say there was a pipeline problem or there weren't that many diverse candidates available, that issue is no, no longer there. And, and Eric the enemy is, is, a, is a great example. And if you if you don't like Eric the for whatever reason, there are many other candidates of color that, that could take on the task of, of heading up a team. And uh, as we've seen with some of the, the great guys that turned out to be great hires, uh, like at Cleveland, um, uh, like with the Giants, guys that, that kind of weren't from traditional paths, there are many African-Americans that are not in the traditional path either. So so the idea of of, a pipeline is no longer valid. It really is a a case of look more broadly than you have traditionally. And as the case with all of us, uh, don't necessarily look look for someone who reminds you of yourself, looks like yourself. You might be better off with finding somebody that can better get the job done, even if they don't have the same qualities or identity that you have. So
2: I've actually talked to a lot of organizations in the last few months about this, and I think there is a struggle to develop uh, a pipeline, if you want to call it, or just uncover the great candidates that are out there, especially minority candidates. What's the best way to do that?
0: Ask. And, and you know, you know I, I, when, I, when I say ask, I, I don't mean to be flipping at all. I mean, I, for one, have been around this industry for, for my entire life, I, I speak with a lot of people that are are looking for candidates for a lot of jobs. I'm not a search firm. I am just a a, a colleague, a friend in the business, and and I think some of what happens. And, and think about that. Now, if you don't know somebody who you feel comfortable enough to say, "Hey, I want to find some some good black candidates for this job," so so the big thing I say is is ask, take the process problems that we've seen if, if you look at the the nfl hiring the will be hiring a lot of it is the, the the rush to judgment kind of moment too the i bet you, you haven't taken the time to see who the best candidates are uh not necessarily the easy to find candidates
2: the global sport institute uh facilitates a lot of great events and panel discussions tell us about some of those maybe some of the recent ones
0: that you've had Well, you know, we started off, and and one of the thoughts that I had as we formed this this enterprise was to have events that that people, uh, community, and and globally would want to come to. Uh, Probably most relevant in this moment, we were doing live events. We had a great event focused on black quarterbacks. We had a great event uh, focused on the 1968 Olympics and activism in in that sense. Uh, Those were both live events, and then... As the pandemic was uh, getting underway, we were scheduled to have another live event, but we had our first real uh, Global Sport Matters, uh, a virtual event focused on uh, COVID and, and athletics and, and what was happening around the world. We had some great guests from around the world, from South Africa, uh, from, from Australia. And it was an event that you know, much to my you know, I, I didn't have the foresight to think about this. We couldn't have paid to bring in all the people that we brought in. We couldn't have uh, gotten the audience that we had um, so so amazingly impactful. Uh, we've got a, another uh, great one coming up, which which we'll announce shortly via yeah. our our two <laughs> our two vehicles um, in, in in February. So so there have been some great events, in and uh, Global Sport Matters Live is kind of the. The name that we we've gone with, but we also do do other special events to to focus on what's important in sport. And our whole goal is really to deliver impactful information information that that people in and out of sport can use.
2: Is there anything else you can tell us about that you're working on as far as research and data that people can look forward to uh, in the coming months?
0: You know, I, I think that the, the biggest work that that we really want to be begin to bring forward a lot more is focused on youth sport and and focused on access and and focused on coaching and and how our our kids should be coached. And and I also think a lot about some work that I did in in South Africa where there was a lot of discussion where sport was introduced into schools the first time about what should we be doing in sport, how should sport be um, uh, involved in society. And a lot of what we talked about in our, our, our COVID Global Sport Matters live event was what are we going to do at the reset, the restart of sport? So, to take a look at changes that hopefully have taken place as we had a moment to step back and, and think better about where we are with sport, especially in the United States.
2: Tell us a bit about your team. You know, I've met Andrew, who hosts the Global Sport Matters podcast. Who else is on your team? How are you gathering this information?
0: We've got a, a, a staff, you know, varies between full and part time. Uh, about a dozen people. Uh, the, the, the ringleader, in terms of, of keeping it as a business oriented focus, because I am the all over the place uh, CEO, kind of throwing out ideas and the like, um, is, is a former VP of marketing of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Karina Bone. We've got uh, a, a strong leadership group led by uh, Professor Scott Brooks. He's a, uh, a professor of sociology. He was a, actually, how old am I? He was a student of mine. Uh, at, at Penn many years ago, as he was getting his, his PhD, he heads up that, that segment. Working closely with him directly underneath is Karen Gallagher. Um, she, she is a, 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 a research, uh, 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 guru who's really driven a lot of our quantitative work, but she's also a military vet and she's helped us to lead, uh, a lot of our thoughts on the idea of athletes transitioning post sport journey. Cause she's done a lot of work in terms of uh, vets transitioning. And what do you do once you develop this military identity or this athlete identity? How do you become somebody else? So she's been been integral in, in that space. We've got uh, Kendall Jones runs our, our events that we talked about. Uh, and we have a num- number of other great great staff uh, that, that do a lot of work, a, a number of people on the research team. We've got some, some postdocs on there. Uh, we've got the – the great uh, uh, Rachel Lofton, who's on the research team, that does a lot of work on, on the, the data sets that, that we see uh, coming out. So it, it, it's really uh, – and, and we've also got a, a, a great team leader, Jeff Kanowski, who heads up our area on innovation. And we also host – I haven't mentioned these um, – uh, competitions for the development of the next great innovative sport idea. So our, our Venture Devils competition – uh, which you can go to our website and learn some more about. We've funded some some great projects to, to come up with the next technology idea in sports. So so we've got a great team. Uh, it, so whenever you hear about work that's coming out of the Global Sport Institute, it's not me. It, it is largely these people on this team. And, and then we do contract with, with those on the outside at other universities. Uh, we're doing some work on additional podcast work more, death prod podcasts. Um, so, so we've got a, a lot of great things coming up in the next year.
2: When I was on with Andrew on the Global Sport Matters podcast that you guys produce, we talked about the new normal that's going to exist moving forward following the pandemic. Much after, much like after 9-11, you know, we go to the airport differently and there's all new procedures. I think there's going to be a new normal based on all of the different people I've spoken with uh, since last March. What do you see from your end as part of the new normal and, and are you guys going to dig into that a little bit and see – what some of the tangible findings
0: may be yeah Brian, i think you, you're exactly right and i think in the midst of this the the best quote i heard about the, this this new normal is well no we're not we're not in the middle of a storm we, we're headed towards a new climate that, that it really is a whole new infrastructure that we're confronted with going forward and it's it's up to us to have learned from the moments we were in about what worked and what didn't work so certainly a lot of this in terms of uh, live gate attendance, you know you, you can pick over the years how much we've struggled with how do we get people in the facility and what do we do? how do we so a lot of the questions about how do you monetize if people aren't in there uh, and a lot of the cost savings that takes place, which doesn't overwhelm the loss that takes place by the way, we, we're, we're clear on that. But what should we retain from these these moments of uh, of, of, of quarantine? And what should we maintain in terms of uh, developing viewer interest? You know, the, the, the biggest event that got us scratching our heads, of course, is, is one of the first big events as we went into this was the, the NFL draft. And, the, and, and and granted, people were starved for uh, sport, but it was just amazing how many people focused on that. It was also uh, in terms of content, the last dance and the, the viewership that took place of, yeah. of, of this, this, this one one telecast so so a lot of things are going to be different I, I don't i don't think we know for sure where we're going to be and i think there's also going to be a, a good amount of, of fallout too so some i don't know if we know who all the, the survivors are and i think uh this the, the, the last piece to watch for the you know former business school professor uh is is the role of Spacs and all this and and what's going to be uh, bought up in this moment and maybe made better by people that, that use these special purpose acquisition companies to to, to lift up enterprises that, that are financially down.
2: Ken Shropshire, CEO of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. You can learn more about them. GlobalSportMatters.com. Subscribe to the Global Sport Matters podcast. Follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Shropshire. I'm so excited for this partnership. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to what lies ahead.
0: Thanks, Brian. I'll look forward to it,
2: too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.
3: This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter, at SB Radio, Instagram, at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.